It's 5 p.m. in Sydney and 9 a.m. here in Zurich, Switzerland. Thanks very much for showing up today. It's a great pleasure to have all of you here. Let's see if we can get everybody else on the on the recording here as well. Uh, looks like the, the panelists are still showing up. Uh, good morning from Spain. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep the uh, keep the chat coming. That's very good. <laughs> yeah, keep it going. This is what we're doing here, right? We can finally talk to each other in, in very simple ways. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so welcome, Soha. This is Soha Rashid. She is an associate futurist with my company, and she Hello, is everyone. our esteemed moderator. And she is in charge of who gets to say what. Uh, well, not what, but when. Uh, so you'd be nice to her because she is uh, she is going to control uh, who is going to get to uh, contribute. Um, so while we're uh, still waiting for the, everybody else to turn up here, um, let me say a couple of things about the controls. Please, for the questions, uh, use the Q&A button at the bottom. Don't use the chat, okay? The chat is really just for all the extra stuff that we may or may not be doing. Uh, keep in mind, we are live streaming on YouTube. Uh, and recording the whole thing. So whatever you say in the chat or otherwise, or in the questions or whatever, is going to be there in perpetuity, right? And of course, Google and Facebook will know everything about you after the session. So um, use the question button to ask questions. There's also an upvoting mechanism, okay? That means you can actually upvote and down, down not downvote, only upvote everybody else's so that we have the important questions. I, I see we already have six questions. That's very good. All right, all these good messages. Thanks very much, guys. It's really great pleasure to have you here. These are tough times, and I'm very happy we can connect in this way. So um, any other questions, uh, you can also chat to Soha. She is on, in the panelist chat, so you can, you can send a message there. And it's great uh, to have everybody here from uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, China, Asia, and even some Europeans, of course, are here. We're going to share everything after the session on my blog. That's futuristgird.com. Just look at the blog setting. And of course, a complete audio recording, video recording, the polls, and all those pretty pictures you're going to have, you know, including my amazing background. This, this is Carl Sagan's, you know, pale blue dot, just in case you haven't record, realized it. But anyway, so uh, great to be here with you. Let's see. Um, do we have the other panelists here yet? Yeah. Well, I think we should uh, launch straight into. Ah, okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, the be the beauty of uh, decentralized controlling. So this is Ross Dawson. Ross Dawson is a good friend of mine in Sydney, Australia, uh, one of the most beautiful towns in the world, I think. And he lives in Bondi Beach, I think. Lucky you. So, uh, hello. Hel hello, Ross. Um, Great. And of course, here. he's he's a futurist running his own futurist outfit. Uh, in Sydney, and so is Shara Evans. We're still waiting for her to, to return. Ah, there she is. Hello. Hello, Shara. <laughs> this is Shara Evans. She's also from Sydney, yes. uh, another futurist. And it's uh, all, uh, everybody today on the team is a member of the Futures Agency, my company. We'll tell you about all that stuff later. Uh, any other comments or questions, please do ahead. Uh, so uh, any uh, question that's important right now? Um, is, yeah, let's start with the poll. Uh, now you get to say where you're from and what what you would like to achieve in this session. So I'm going to launch this poll. Uh, uh, relaunch poll one. Here we go. So uh, here's a live poll. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. 
I think it is multiple choice and it's anonymous, of course, again, except for Facebook and Google. Uh, so tell us who, where you're from and I'm going to share the results in a minute. Are you from Australia, Pacific, Asia, India, Europe and stuff. So just let us know who you are uh, and where you're working. And we will be sharing the results later of all the polls. And so, you know, we're doing an ongoing series here of uh, what we call digital conferences. There is another one uh, in a week from now. It's on leadership. You can find it on their website, theconference.digital. Um, and then a really special one in two weeks. I'm going to have a battle of the minds with a transhumanist, uh, Callum Chase, famous science fiction writer, actually a, a kind of a friend of mine now, even though we have completely different opinions. That's two weeks from now. You can also sign up on, on the conference.digital. Um, it's also another free event. So uh, I think most of you voted 64%. Well, keep voting. You know, Don't ignore the, uh, the opportunity to share your opinion here. We're going to have a few other polls later. And uh, you know, feel free in the meantime to, uh, to, ask, to ask in the chat if you have any questions about how the polls are working. Um, I think I can actually share this poll. Uh, yeah, people are still voting. Yeah, keep it rolling. So I think I need to move on with the next thing. So I'm going to end the poll right now. Vote quickly if you are, if you are going to vote. Uh, so there we go. And I will share the results with you right now so everybody can see it. So we have uh, Australia, Asia, India, Russia, UK, and Europe, 46%. That's pretty good. Um, and an interesting result, you know, work in professional services, 42%. Well, that's a uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty high ratio. So thank you. Uh, we're going to go back to the polling later. So uh, I will now start my part of the presentation. The way it's going to work roughly, we are going to... Uh, speak for seven or eight minutes each if we can manage you know we usually tend to speak for 40 minutes so this is fast forward for all of us <laughs> so uh, seven or eight minutes each and then you can ask questions on each of the speakers um, the running order is myself first and then ross and then shara and at the very end we have a long debate and question and answer session um, and we're going to share some various media things as well with you here right? so um, let me start with this you know, we are living in very strange times, right? I mean, it's quite clear we're living in a world where, you know, we are wondering, like, you know, is, is it going to be off like this forever, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, everybody is, uh, is disconnected, right? And we are now living in a world that's kind of looking like this. Uh, um, and Bill Gates said yesterday, it was a really interesting show I watched with Bill Gates, who's a very smart guy, one of my favorite uh, uh, thought leaders. He said that America's looking at 18 months of this scenario, right? uh, and yeah, I mean it's it's pretty dreary. I think it's we have to say, well, you know, how do how do we change? How do we adapt? You know, how do we move into a world that's going to uh, look a little bit different? So I want to start by saying I think this is something that I call the Great Transformation. Right? Um, some people have said it's the Great Depression, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think it's the Great Transformation. And uh, my graphic team the other day made this really funny animation to where they, they are showing us essentially what the souvenir of 2020 looks like. And people are going to think of 2020 as being the time where everything <laughs> became like this. Right? So I think it's a time of great transformation. And one thing that's happening uh, worldwide, you can see that people are collaborating in unprecedented ways. I mean, even ourselves, some 50 people from the Features Agency, we've never really collaborated in this way. And now we're here, we're talking to each other. Right? 
And there's also a lot of solidarity between countries. You know, Germany, Austria have sent masks to Italy, and you know, people are doing things that are not necessarily mon monetarily uh, uh, valued. And we're basically rethinking solidarity. And I think this is a very good start for us. Also, when we think about work, it's quite clear that having those kind of human skills, you know, understanding things, you know, that's being valued again, and of course, uh, value each other. I think we're also going to move into a world where we're going to see Europe step up and become another place of uh, taking advantage of this. I mean, you know, if you're looking at the overall scenario here and which way we're headed, it's quite clear that Europe seems like it's going to take a leading role. Many people have said Europe uh, is in the beginning, but I think it's going to look like this, right? Um, the concept of the United States of Europe, people have been laughing about for a long time, but I think now is the time that we can prove that we can do this. The Eurobonds, I think they're coming. Uh, for the future of work, that's also very positive. I think we're going to have a pan-European economy. Um, huge debate, of course, on how exactly that will be affected and so on. So the second point is, you know, we're going to move to a world where it's basically remote everything, right? where we're going to be able to, uh, to attend remotely, uh, to go into the cloud, to do things that previously were impossible. I mean, this is going to be a world that is quite like this, right? We're all going to feel much more digitized. Okay, there's another person here that's not supposed to be here. There you go. Go away. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I think in this world, how we're going to connect with each other on, on augmented reality, virtuality, that's going to be quite mind-boggling. Uh, we'll take a lot of new skills. I mean, even ourselves practicing for this session, right? three hours of getting the tech down and all these kind of things. I mean, that's, yeah. And looking at further down the road, I think we're going to see some pretty amazing technology here, like this. Uh, Brain-computer interfaces. I think I mentioned in my article a couple of weeks ago, in the near future, I'm going to go to the airport and go into a holographic room that costs a million dollars. I'm going to travel to Sydney to speak to you all in person, parenthesis. Right? Uh, I think that's not too far away. Um, quite clearly, I think the travel is going to be a very big deal in the future. Uh, a lot more virtual travel, right? a lot more travel to systems like this. Online conferencing is going to be a big deal. We're never going to stop to see each other. That, that's quite obvious. Uh, but these things are becoming the new normal, kind of like WhatsApp or Spotify has become the new normal. And I think we're going to be, live in a world where this kind of idea of connecting virtually and, and to figure out how we're going to actually do this remotely becomes the new normal. I think in many ways you can say that uh, this, right? airports, airplanes, yeah, we're looking at the deep crisis, how we work in the future, where we travel, why we travel, right? This is obviously going to be a big deal for airlines. You know, I wouldn't want to be in the airline business uh, or, uh, or for that matter, the cruise ship business, you know, which is pretty much at the end. Uh, so point number three is we're going to see travel bans. We're going to see restrictions on travel. I think New Zealand has said until the end of the year, nobody can come and go uh, or go rather, but not come. Uh, there's going to be a lot of new restrictions, and that's going to really impact the future of work. Uh, I think in a few years it may change, but also now we've learned how we can do these things. So that creates a different deal and a different possibility. Uh, fourth point I want to make, digital economy, right? Everything is digital economy now because everything is digital. Uh, everything is moving to the cloud. All our skills have to match the digital economy. That's where all the money is going. The tech companies are profiting vastly from this crisis and also helping uh, greatly from the crisis. 
we're going to see, I think, just uh, later next year, a lot more regulation on tech. You can only imagine uh, countries like Israel and other ones are uh, getting to sort of a default surveillance level right, because of the, the corona crisis. That can't last. I think we're going to have to figure out how we do this because in the end, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it could be sort of a, a used as a weapon, right? Uh, when you look at the technology ultimately becoming something like this, right? It could be a present or it could be a bomb. Right? And so I'm a little bit worried about this. I think we need to really keep an eye on this and make sure that uh, because we work remotely, we're not subject to insecure uh, situations and things like that. F uh, fifth point is climate change. Right? Clearly, um, after we go through the current corona crisis, we're going to see this as re-emerging as the number one topic, or this is the number one topic, right? I mean, let's, let's face it. Uh, many people have denied the fact that Corona was an issue, were also climate deniers, right? primarily the Republican Party in the US, for example. Right? Neither climate change existed nor the Corona crisis. That was the Chinese problem. Right? So we need to look at this in the future and say, well, if we can deal with something like the Corona crisis, how can we deal with climate change? This is the next, really next big thing. Uh, adaptive measures will be absolutely huge here. Right? And we're going to move to a, a form of what I call sustainable capitalism. Um, I think that is something that is going to be giving us a new purpose when we talk about work, right? I call this the quadruple bottom line, people, planet, profit, uh, people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. Uh, that's sort of a realignment of capitalism. Uh, Al Gore called this sustainable capitalism. And of course, in Europe, we had the Green New Deal, fueling all these things. There, there'll be 100 million new jobs in this environment, right? cleaning up energy, shifting from oil, so lots of new work there. I think if you understand technology, understand humans, that's kind of quite clearly the, the new human job. Uh, let me wrap up by saying, I think this is our future. These are the things that make us human. These are the things that machines can't do. I call them in my book, Technology versus Humanity. I call this the andro-rhythms, the, the human things. Right? Uh, and I think this is very important that we figure out how to maintain this, how to teach our kids about those things because in 20 years, that's what humans do and machines will do the opposite. Right? The Moravec paradox, as Moravec, the researcher once said, whatever is simple for a human is hard for a computer and vice versa. Right? That's the future of work in a nutshell. Don't compete with computers because computers are getting pretty smart like this. You know, basically, if you're looking at this scenario, it's quite clear that humans can get to information uh, intuitively very quickly. Like I can meet a person 0.4 seconds later, I kind of know who they are. Uh, impossible for machines. And, and AI is still circling around the issue. Like, like for example, I was wondering in this whole corona crisis, what was the role of AI? Did it help us? Did it do anything meaningful? <laughs> yeah, not really. So you know, those are human decisions that we have to make. I also think ultimately this is the scenario, right? Uh, this here is human intelligence. There's about 10 different kinds of intelligence. Very important for the future of work kinesthetic, emotional intelligence. This is why women are uh, driving the future. This is why we're going to see more women politicians. Uh, also, because, you know, these are skills that are sometimes difficult for men. Uh, for a lot of reasons, you know, we're focused on the sort of production technology part of things. Right? And the computer brain here, right? So very important for the future of work. So, so um, basically on this, I'm going to wrap up by saying I think that technology for us we must think about uh, uh, two things, right? That's the EQ and the IQ. Uh, 
when it's about education. I think STEM education is great. We're going to need more STEM, obviously, more healthcare, more science, more, um, more people dealing with all those issues, clearly. But on the other hand, I think our future of work is to be more human. To actually understand how humans work, the EQ, right? the things that machines don't do. And I think we're going to see that reinforced in this crisis away from this thinking of productivity and profit and growth and you know, all those things towards more of a stable world, more of an ecosystem, more collaboration, which requires EQ, not just IQ. Right? Uh, I think Einstein once said the, uh, the most horrible thing you can imagine uh, is a person or a machine that only has IQ. <laughs> uh, so that's definitely something we need to work on. So I'm going to wrap it up here. I think uh, I would sometimes say, you know, the failure, the failure to adapt is failure to exist. Uh, and for us, this is clearly a huge challenge right now on this transformative point where we're saying, well, you know, we need to really adapt to figure out what exactly we're going to be doing in the future. So I'm open for your discussions and your feedback. And um, I'm going to go back here to the group view. So to the other panelists, do you have any comments or before we go to the question? Yeah, don't be shy. Yeah. You can speak up. Okay. Well, then we, we take some questions. Do we have urgent questions? So uh, we have, uh, I think we have three. Okay. Let me just to take the hand first. Oh, there's a hand. Okay. Who's the hand? Yeah, let's take the hand first. Yeah. Okay. So we have somebody raising the hand. If you want to speak, uh, that's Ufuk. Thank you, Ufuk. Uh, Merhaba to Turkey. This is a fellow futurist from Turkey. Uh, if you want to speak, by the way, raise your hand. There's a hand raise tool. And then if we like you, we'll put you into the conversation here uh, live with video and with audio. So please don't call from the subway in Delhi. Okay. All right. Ufuk, are you there? No? no yes. Hello. Oh, yes. Very Istanbul. good. Hello. Hey. Great to have it's you very here. Very nice to see you all. Okay. Shoot. Thank you. Do you have a, do you have a question, Uvo? Not, oh, was... oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. Thanks. Okay. Let's go. Let's go back to the questions. Then, do we have another? We have Sandra Valens. You want to take her as a question? Sandra, are you ready to roll? And um, okay. uh, so far, we'll pipe you into the conversation, and then maybe Sandra Valens. Uh, can join us. Yeah, there you go, Sandra. So you're live on YouTube now. Okay. There's about five hundred thousand people watching you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I am. A, I must say, I love what you're talking about, and I might even describe you as an optimist, which I do see as a good thing. Uh, I think we're seeing sort of when you talked about um, potentially women having more of a role in leadership. You know, certainly when I look at what Jacinda Ardern is. Uh, has done is doing that is certainly a style of leadership I think many of us would aspire to but I do wonder when we get to the other side there is um, a lot of people who want to control power and uh, the road for women in leadership has been really tough and I really would like to think that what you're saying is true but I do think uh, you know there's a lot to lose for many people and uh, you know how will they respond and um, respond to that potential and that difference so um, I like your optimism uh, I really hope that it comes to play for both the planet and women but I'm just it's hard to you know I know that that has been a very slow path to making improvements there yeah I totally agree let's have some of the other other panelists answer on the shower you want to chime in on this just unmute yourself please 
and you're ready to roll. Okay, um, I actually was just looking at the chat and somebody was saying, have you seen any work or discussion about changing the accounting systems, which makes all companies on the same level playing field of tax versus incentivizing those with greener, cleaner, caring services and products and so on with lower taxes. And that really goes, I think, to your point about climate change being the next big thing that we're gonna have to grapple with. And I can see that as a steamroller coming. In fact, if coronavirus hadn't impacted us the way it has, that was actually my plan to be a huge topic of research for me for 2020, looking at alternative energies and ways that we can start to claw back all of the harm that we've done to our beautiful blue ball in space that all of us are clustered on. <laughs> yeah, um, interesting so point. Far, I, you know, yeah. If I, if I can chime in for a second, you know, there's 10 billion people are working in the oil economy, oil and gas, right? Now, there's been a lot of research on this saying if we switch to renewable energy, whether it's solar or even next generation fusion, if you nuclear fusion, if you can consider that, uh, there could be a hundred million new jobs here. A hundred million. So talking about employment, the future of work, I think any, anything you do with renewable energy, whatever that future is in 10 years will be absolutely going gangbusters. And, and the oil industry is a burning plan, a burning platform. You know, clearly, I think that's a, a major challenge. Let, Ross, do you want to chime in here on this? Or? Yeah, I just wanted to, to address Sandra's question around optimism. And so I'm an optimist. I think good is an optimist. I show an optimist. I think uh, you shouldn't be a futurist unless you're an optimist. <laughs> And it's been harder and harder in the last few years to be optimistic in the world that we are seeing. But the way I think about it is that we have to start to believe that it is possible to create a better world. It doesn't mean that it's inevitable. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but we have to believe it's possible. And I absolutely believe that's the case. So this is now additional challenges on top of all the challenges we've had already. With the coronavirus, as you said, this gives authoritarians extraordinary possibilities to advance their aims. Yet these are in the seeds of this change are the opportunities to be able to create a better world, where we focus more on climate, where we have more social equity, as I'll discuss as well. So if we start to believe, yes, it is possible, all we need to do is believe that it is possible, and that starts to make us think, well, what is it that we need to do in order to be able to create that better world? You know, there's a, there's a great quote by Tim Cook uh, a couple of months ago at the European Commission, uh, the CEO of Apple, who said that technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want to do anything. Uh, and I, I would echo this and say, you know what, we, we have amazing technology to solve most of our problems, right? We are solving poverty. We can solve diseases. We can even solve the pandemic, right? We can solve connectivity, 5G. We can solve cancer in 20, 30 years, maybe. I mean, the question is, what kind of world do we want? Right? And who makes those decisions? Going back to the question about women, I think it's quite clear that you know, looking around the world, you see the rise of strong women and young women, not just uh, Yacinda, but also in Finland, Sanna Marin, who is, uh, uh, I think, the, uh, the president of the, of the parliament, right? And other women like Cristiano Figueres in climate change, for example, and of course, Greta and others. I mean, it's coming, right? And I think this crisis is, is going to enforce the role of people who have intuition and foresight. Uh, and I think this is also going to be a job for millennials, you know, not just for people my age, but uh, this is coming. Huh? Millennial women, 
minorities. I think that's where we're going in the, in the future. And let's get ready for that. Uh, let's take a question here from the menu. I think we have a lot of questions and then we'll go on to Ross's contribution. So um, we have, uh, please use the question tool. If you see a good question, give it the, up, the thumbs up, right? So we can sort um, better there, right? So Craig, uh, thanks for joining Craig. I think you're still in Tokyo. Um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Craig Seffen is asking for the drawing of future of work, what are we trying to achieve? What does success look like? Some people are now using the term humanization of work to try and soften. Whoop, now you moved. <laughs> okay, stay there uh, to try and soften uh, the scarce factor, which has been widely used. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that is the key question. What are we trying to achieve, right? Um, to me, I try to answer the question as much as I can. I think most of us want to achieve the same thing, 98% uh, of us, and that is happiness, right? Uh, how do you get happiness? Well, you can't buy it on Amazon and it can't easily be delivered uh, through some government program, right? It's a larger story, but I, I think when you're looking at priorities like this on a global level, most people want to be human. They want to have human rights, human abilities, right? uh, and they are pursuing happiness. And I think this is ultimately the goal, of course, when you're looking at, again, what New Zealand is doing in this crisis, uh, decisive, focus on happiness, giving money to the people who really need it. The same is going on here in Switzerland. And I don't know, in America, I would, uh, I'm highly doubtful of that, but any of you guys want to comment on the question? Chiara? Roz? Well, Just chime in. Hap okay. Happiness is extremely important, especially when so many of us around the world are literally locked into our homes and being told to stay away from everybody that's not part of our immediate family group that lives with us social isolation is antithetical to the way we humans behave. We're not used to being isolated. And that means that to keep ourselves safe, you know, from this virus, we're going to have to use tools like this and other video conferencing and collaboration platforms to be able to interact with people because I think that's actually a core part of our happiness. Another core part of our happiness is being able to afford the essentials in life. And I'm talking about food and medicine and a roof over our head, whether it's mortgage or rent. And with the crisis looking like it's going to last for an extended period, that's something that I really worry about is how many people couldn't last it out for a very long period, even if you've been conservative with savings, would you necessarily have enough to sustain yourself for say 12 months? Most yeah. people, I, the I, answer I, is I, probably no. You know, I think this is the question again of solidarity, right? Uh, can we help each other sustain uh, emotionally, but also financially? Uh, and the countries that are solidarity, where that is in the center, like tends to be most European countries really, hopefully uh, can sustain longer. Ross, you have a comment or please just go ahead and. Yes, it's, well, this is uh, one of the, I see this, in the past I've talked about polarization and the, there are these diverging paths. And one of the fundamental directions now, or one of the, the polarities or the choices we have are, will we move to greater collaboration and cooperation internationally? And there's hopeful in terms of scientific collaboration, in terms of collaboration, in terms of the crisis, this will happen. But of course, more recent trends have been in fracturing 
in terms of the decoupling of economies, the battles between US and China, and uh, this uh, breaking apart. So these are the choice we face. It is potential that, as we'll see in UK break off, we'll have some more of that happen in Europe, uh, that we'll have see more and more fracturing. But again, this is an opportunity for the cooperation and collaboration. And uh, I don't think it's inevitable either direction. Yeah, I, I think this is really an existential question. If we can collaborate, we'll survive. If we don't, we probably won't survive. Uh, we'll be taken over by the AI in, 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 in 25 years. And we're going to go to other planets if we have enough money, because then we can do the same again. Uh, Soha, do we have another good question or some important question? Can you pick one, please, for us? Yes, so I'll go with the first question. I wonder how much we, wealthy and educated, project future scenarios based on our particular experiences what does the future look like for the poor and uneducated? Yeah, good one. Thank you. Of course, we are privileged just by the very fact that we are here. Um, who wants to take this? Well, just a quick, quick frame on this is that you know, the divide. And this, so again, this theme of polarization in a networked economy, when we start to have power law distributions, that does accentuate divides. And we've seen that in terms of wealth equality. We've seen obviously a clear line in terms of digital access and divides. There's a lot of the United Nations Development Program goals. We are actually doing some pretty decent advances, not in all of them, but in many of those. And this is again at the heart of humanity, is being able to make that inclusive wealth, inclusive participation, inclusive growth, so this is every decision that we need to be making is framed around those who are disadvantaged either between nations and also within nations. Yeah, I, I personally think this is a huge challenge. I mean, it's quite clear that uh, the distance is humongous. I mean, we have 4G, 5G networks here and most places in Africa, you can have 3G or Edge or you can send a text message, you know, and that needs to change. I think it, it really is a question of us contributing for example, I think if we have technology like the smart city, Internet of Things, we need to give it to those places without a license. Right? We need to give them technology to actually go ahead and, and we have to spread the benefits of technology much better than we are now. Uh, and clearly, of course, this is another thing, you know, not just the virus, but also climate change is taking the toll on the poorest people. Right? I would totally agree on that. And that is absolutely something that we have to address. Inequality, in my view, is also the major reason for terrorism obviously, globally. So that, that's, a, that's a hefty question. Uh, let's, uh, do you want to say something, Shara? Just Yeah, I was just in. going to add in. Um, last night, I was chatting with a woman in Africa, and one of her big concerns was that so many people in her country do not even have internet connections at their home. And that means that they can't even work from home even if they were capable of it, because they don't have the infrastructure already in place. And in the midst of the pandemic, you're not going right. to suddenly start rolling out infrastructure. So in the fullness of time, I think we can pitch in and help with this digital divide. But in the midst of the crisis, it's going to become more pronounced in the shorter term. Yeah, uh, going back to the question, you know, I would welcome participation of people from all over the world in, in this in these events, right? Clearly, we are desperately looking for people who will contribute who are not, you know, older white people or older white men for that reason. I mean, now we have, we're lucky, right, to have a, a more of a mixed panel now, but we're open to that. So if you have suggestions, please fire away via email and introduce us to people. 
Uh, we do have a hand raise. Uh, Sawa, shall we take Luca Pokari and see what Luca wants to say? Um, so tell us who you are. Hello. And, yes, hello, Luca. Thank you. Hi, Gerd. Uh, we are in chat, you remember, since time. Now, now Gerd and the audience, I just have a quick, this question. Coronavirus is really changing our habits in these months, no? And now the point is that uh, I really appreciate your optimism, uh, even for the future work, for the future humankind. The question is, the more we delegate to online, virtual, digital, such tools, softwares, uh, and all this stuff, the more we lose actually our humanity. My opinion, because we would uh, simply hide our natural uh, human approach to, to everything by meeting, by speaking, by interacting face-to-face. -face. So how do we manage this then? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I share your concern. But then again, you know, I would say, because I'm doing this with people now, it makes me much more likely to want to meet them. Uh, it, uh, it's also interesting. I do a lot of these things. And then when I go to an event, then I say, oh, it's you, Luca. Yeah, we met on the, on the, on the Zoom call, right? And we, the more we digitize, the more we want to connect. Uh, I think this is the human thing. And we're not going to stop connecting because we can talk online. I mean, look at dating, right? You can do Tinder or you can do date without Tinder, you know, but Tinder is different. It's not the same as dating. And people are still doing the fundamental things between humans in a, in a, in a very much a real-time way. We're not quite at, uh, at the movie Her yet, right? We've fallen, fallen in love with the OS. Um, so, but I... I uh, I always say, you know, we have to not just connect, we also have to protect, right? Uh, we have to protect what makes us human. And I think we need laws, regulations, social contracts, and, you know, how we deal with each other to protect what makes us human, which means mystery, privacy, serendipity, discovery. Uh, and we also need laws that says, you know, you can't be fired because you're not willing to put on the AR helmet or something, you know? Things like that. I think that's, yeah, we're going to need some protection there. Sometimes I say we need a human protection agency, like an EPA for humanity. Um, but having said that, let's not pull out the baby with the bathwater. You know, technology is giving us a tool to do a lot of things that otherwise would be literally impossible or too costly like this. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can find that balance, but we'll definitely need companies like Facebook and others uh, to be restrained from their exploitive manners that they have. Uh, this is why we're not streaming to Facebook. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's something that I think remains to be seen. I think we should go to the next presentation. And it's interesting, by the way, to note that, you know, the way we are presenting has also changed a lot. Uh, Ross is doing the same thing with the, the, the fancy background stuff, which is good. So we're all learning and, and trying to, uh, uh, to find a way forward. So, Ross, thanks very much, and please uh, take it away. Thank you, Gerd. And so I suppose the first point to make is that, uh, you know, Gerd and I have worked together for more than uh, 10 years now. And uh, part of it is because we have some quite similar views. So I think we'll be echoing some of what uh, Gerd has said. So my belief for a long time is that the future of work is at the center of the future of humanity, of who we are, our identities, you know, our role in society. Not just, uh, this is not just about business. This is around who we are. So on top of all of the uncertainties about the future of work, we now have the overlay of this pandemic. And this is creating all sorts of extraordinary uncertainties. How does this change in the future of work? And I think that you know, I need to take a deep breath. And this is where the tools of the futurist 
and the methodologies and the approach of the futurists are extraordinarily relevant. And one of the key questions is, what is it that changes and what is it that stays the same? And that's all of us. We all need to be our own futurists to put our thinking caps on and consider, well, what is it that might change from what we've thought before? What is it that is new? What is this different? And what is it that will stay the same? So it's probably worth just coming back to my humans in the future of work framework. And many, much of my work on the, the long time has been the humans in the future of work. And I'd just like to run through this very quickly before thinking about what it is that might change in this world. So part of this starts from the disruption of work. And of course, we have uh, connected work and we have automation. So we have virtual teams, you have virtual work, service marketplaces and so on, crowdsourcing. And we also have uh, you know, automation where you know, we have uh, machine learning, all of these other things which are starting to play a role in being able to create what it is future. And so from this disruption of work, the question becomes, what is the role of humans? And I believe there's three core things, creativity, and imagination, expertise, and relationships. And there's the intersection of these that gives us a place for this insight into how humans will play a role in that future. So this becomes a different world where humans still have an important role, that's, that's what work is, and starts to look at, well, this is the new ways in which we need to structure work, coming from, of course, the design of work, looking for the, how, how do machines and humans complementary? How do they fit together to be able to create roles? Be able to look at them, having all work involve learning to make it fluid and to say that you know, high performance organizations are going to look very different, but focused on culture, on alignment of values, on what it is that brings people together to be able to create these organizations. So from here, what we can say is that some of these existing trends are accelerating. So if we think about what are some of the trends that are accelerating, they're very obviously that of remote work. This is not a new trend. In fact, we work uh, remotely. Some organizations for a long time have existed entirely in virtual work. Now this is becoming something which is accelerated to an extraordinary degree. Many of those organizations are already working online are easily able to do that. We're also seeing that in fact, Many organizations that haven't stepped their foes in the water, suddenly leaping forward, learning, being able to do that moving forward. One of the other key trends, we look at the domains of automation. One of them is anything in terms of customer contact. So fast food, we've already seen acceleration of fast food uh, kiosks, being able to go in, being able to buy food without being able to interact with anyone. And so this is, well, again, this acceleration of existing trends that we've seen before. We also need to say, well, what are the new shifts? What are the things which will then ripple out in terms of changing what it is that we've seen before in the way in which we think about and look at the future of work? So for example, we have the, you know, we need to say that of course, this uh, chart, you will see that the, in March, 2020, in the United States, there were more than 6 million people increased onto the unemployment roll are many, many, many fold more than any time for the decades in the past. So many frames around this. Of course, there is a deep human cost, but there is also one perspective is that there is extraordinary talent available for those businesses that see this as an opportunity. They want to be able to build their possibilities for today, to filter, to be able to come together and to connect talent, not just locally, but also anywhere since they're able to work remotely now. 
but also there now we have a different social contract. And we're seeing that uh, there was a wonderful comment that people on the progressive uh, arm of the Democrats are now feeling that they're being outflanked on the left by the Republicans being able to create all of the social support mechanisms. And this is things which are, again, of course, at a government level, societal level, but also an organizational level and saying, what is our contract? How is it that we are going to get more equity, more support? And of course, things like universal basic income are now on the card saying this is now effective, easy ways to be able to make sure that people have a basis, whatever comes, and to be able to build on that as we come moving forward. So my thesis, my frame, the center of all my work today is that helping with organizations understand strategy, there's two parts. There is survival, yes, we need to survive for another day, but also to reinvent ourselves, to say this is a different world and we can't be the same organizations we were. We must be a new organization. It's a lovely illustration of that. There is a Sydney-based company which makes pop-up stages for big bands and events like Miley Cyrus. And so, of course, they, they essentially lost $2.5 million of contracts. And they said, we can't survive. We have to sack out 23 full-time staff because there's no big crowds, there's going to be no big stages, then suddenly they had a brainwave. And they said, well, in fact, the demand is going to be for home furniture, for stand-up desks, for things which are students who are working at home. And they've now rehired all their staff and more to reinvent themselves to be able to be now a home office uh, furniture company. So this is where we need to be able to set an action plan for the future of work. This is not something we can watch unfold. We need to be proactive to be able to see the shape of how things will come moving forward. And part of that is to be able to create some scenarios to understand. Yeah, that's a deep part of my background is the scenario planning to think what different things that happen. But the core of that is vision. You must have a vision of what it is you want to create, what the world will look like. And that is hard work. But you, unless you have an idea of what the future looks like and the vision of what you want to be, you're not going to be able to create that. So this, of course, this is partly around developing your excellence in virtual work practices from wherever you've started today. This is, of course, being part of my whole history and several of the books I've written and living networks and living enterprise too and getting us off the court. Crowds have always been saying, yes, these are existing trends. We will see more virtual work. So this is something which we need to be preparing for and from this being able to build a roadmap saying of course it's not go clear we don't know quite what that future is but we must be able to take the steps to envision this is what the world might look like in the future of work this is the organizations that will be successful in that world and as a result this is the actions we will take today and those organizations that take that path absolutely will prosper far more than those that are still at least trying to work things out as they go. I'd love to answer any questions or to you know, converse on any of those topics if, uh, if there are any thoughts that come up from, from this, uh, from my, what I've shared. Very good. Thanks very much, Ross. That, that, was, that was really good. I do wonder, what's your opinion on the, on the universal basic income, the UBI or the basic income uh, ideas that are floating around the world? Some people are saying that because of this crisis, you know, governments are in fact doing something like universal basic income now, subsidizing citizens 
all over the place, as they are here in, in Switzerland, for example, and of course in, in Europe, widely widely seen. Is is that sort of like is it going to make it more likely that we may be looking at universal basic income? And why do you think that would be the answer? I mean, the UBI, as it's often termed, is you know is a, there's many it's complex issues around the you know the merits of this. And what has been interesting is that so far all of the what's been done are experiments. Because this has seen, how do humans behave? How do people behave or behave differently if they are guaranteed a certain level of income? And some very interesting results from experiments in Finland and parts of California and Canada and um, New Zealand and so on. So now we are, again, sort of in a way advancing that, uh, you know, those experiments today. This is, that these are all short term. So it's quite a different thing to be able to say, well, I'm now while everybody's been put out of work, we have some support mechanisms. It is quite different to say, I know that forever and forward, I'm going to have a basic income and that shapes my decision. So now this is on the agenda far more than before. It used to be controversial. Now, as you say, it's almost part of what's been done. And I think the one key thing about the universal basic income that is a compelling is that it takes away all of the infrastructure, all of the means testing, all of the costs, all of the burdens of administration, and it's just become simple. Everyone's got it. It's taxable. It's part of their things. And it becomes a basic level. You can reduce the government and have more money, in fact, to be able to support people. Great. Any other comment on this from, yeah, Shara, anybody? No? Okay. Let's, uh, let's take a hand raise that we have here on the discussion. There's Craig Mudge. Uh, Craig, please do join us for the conversation and I'll put on audio and video if you want. Uh, be aware, it's all live on YouTube. So <laughs> whatever you say can be used against you or for you, that is, in, in, the, in the future. So Craig, are you there? Yeah, don't, don't be shy. Yes, you can talk am, now. I, okay, uh, good. Yes, good. <clears throat> I'm okay. just enjoying it. Uh, I do not have a question. Okay, well, thanks for tuning in anyway, and, and uh, spread the word on YouTube. We have uh, another hand raised here now. If you, please raise your hand if you want to comment or ask a question. Let's take a question, Soa. What is the most pressing question here from the audience for Ross and after his talk? And we're gonna share the slides afterwards, by the way, uh, on my website, futurewithgerg.com. We'll put all the slides that we can share. I think Shara can't share hers, but Ross and me will share our elaborate artwork that you can see here. Okay, sure, uh, so how? Okay, so um, I think related to future of work is, how do you see the employer-employee relationship change in the next 20 years? Will we move to a cooperative style, <coughs> shared ownership, more equity, closing in the salaries across all levels and job functions? Okay, a fabulous question and also a massive one. Just try to give a snappy answer to that far more collaborative and we you know we have had adversarial employer employee relationships forever that's the being the role of unions being combative it still is today and so now because talented people have more choices and employers will have to be better in order to be able to find the right people to engage it is more and more this battle for the most the talented the ones who can actually make a difference but to a part of the point of the question, I do believe that we, you know, I've been talking about post-capitalism for some years, and part of it are new structures, including cooperative and mutual structures and other ways where people are participating more in the value that they are creating. And so instead of labor and capital being entirely opposed, that they start to merge. 
And this is whether or not this pans out again is deeply uncertain, but I think there's some promising moves and there's some real potential. And this is, will create a far more participative role and one where, in fact, we don't see employer and employee as being at battleheads, but they're in the most successful organizations that they are completely aligned. Great. Trevor, your comment on this? Yeah, I was going to add that I think we're going to see a lot more of the gig economy where the employees, if you want to term them that, are not actually hired on a full-time basis by a company, but are freelance contractors that have specialist skills that work with one or more organizations on a regular basis, on a partnership basis, where you know it's win-win for the person who's doing the work and for the company who is working with that particular specialist but it's not necessarily an employment relationship. It's more of an ongoing collaboration relationship. And I can already see it has been happening for a couple of years now, but I think that this kind of crisis is going to accelerate that move. Yeah, good point. I mean, I, I talked about this a little while ago uh, when I wrote my last piece in Forbes magazine. I think we're moving from the idea of KPI, you know, key performance index to KHI, right? key human index <laughs> because you know performance is something that software does or a car or a machine of a sort right and and the new measurement this is i think employee employers are looking at this and saying you know really what we want is people who are good humans you know they they have imagination they have intuition they have a cue they can invent they can do all the things that humans used to do before they became corporate uh so now we're going to go to khi i think this is going to be a whole different cup of tea also it's quite clear, I think uh, the, uh, the research has shown roughly 50% of all jobs in the very near future will be freelancers, right? Giggers, called giggers, working in the cloud kind of like we do now. And we're going to need a social structure to support that work, right? We cannot afford to go in the future that is based on exploitation like we have currently with uh, certain situations of Uber and Airbnb and, and other, you know, there has to be a structure supporting people who are doing this kind of work because like right now, what happens in, in this crisis, people who had a regular gig and they put in the money in the pension fund, they are supported now. The other guys can go over and, and just evaporate, right? Uh, and, and this is especially a huge problem in Brazil and India and you know, all of the large economies where people are going to be working like this. Right? So that has to be addressed in the new social structure, I think. And, and this is why I would welcome conversations about this. Do we have another question? Um, just to, so just to add uh, quickly yeah. to that, Gerd, uh, that's, you know, this classic line, you know, we used to have humans trying to act like machines, so now we have machines trying to act like humans, which means that the human capabilities today are the ones that make a difference. And yes, and to your point, yes, we will have more and more freelance, and that's where the universal basic income, it's going to be, it is going to be hard, this is going for many people, but in a more fluid work things, we do need the support structures, but that enables far more fluid and effective ways of work and participation. Great. So uh, another question, and then we're going to go into Shara's presentation. Okay. Uh, another question, Soha, that's important. Yes. So there is a question for Ross. And the question is, in shaping a company or organization for the future business, what are your thoughts on participants, top down or bottom up? And do you really think the real future business strategy development can be done at the end of a web camera or does it need human face-to-face -face engagement? EQ seems to work better with a human in front of you. That's what I'm just trying to find the question on the... 
it's from John Cookton. All right. Yeah, I mean, um, awfully complex question here. <laughs> Ross. So, so I think, yeah, top down or bottom up, it's, it's, this is, it, it always needs to be both. We need leaders. We need leaders that have that vision, as I mentioned, to be able to frame why it is we are doing things, what it is we are seeking to achieve, but making sure that that is fueled by those who are participating in the organization, this participative strategy. Participative strategy is very, very hard to happen bottom-up only. That combination of the top-down and the, and the bottom-up, which, which enables that. So the, um, so just coming back to and find the question again, sorry. Um, yeah, can, can I chime in, chime in for, for a second here? I, I think the, yeah. the real issue is I think in this future that's moving so fast and so many unexpected things are happening, you know, Trump, Brexit, COVID, in that order, you know, all the unexpected things. Any, any organization that is not flexible and tuning into le having less top-down and, and being more interactive and having less of a hierarchical approach is doomed, right? I mean, look what's happened to the big car companies. Um, compare uh, Audi on Daimler with Tesla, you know? It, it's like, it's a whole different world. And I think this is something we have to keep in mind when we think about the future of work, uh, to bring that into a new organization that... And, you know, was mentioned earlier, I think culture, this is all about culture, right? Uh, I think Peter Drucker said something very similar once, and I would adopt Peter Drucker's uh, uh, proverb as saying, I think culture eats technology for breakfast. You know, this is the transformation is not about technology. <laughs> it's about how our culture changes. Yeah? And this is ultimately what the whole thing is about, of course. Ross, you want to continue on that vein? Or? I think we'll probably flip over to Shara now. Yeah, okay, so let's, uh, Shara, please um, enlighten us with your presentation. Thank you. Okay, give me a second to get to my screen and then we will be sharing this momentarily. And right. I'd first like to thank Gerd and Ross for having me as part of this webinar. You've both been friends and colleagues for many years and it's my delight to be part of this. Um, Gerd, you talked about the great transformation and without a doubt, that is exactly where we're at and it's been brought on by things beyond our control. When I've been talking about the future of jobs over the last number of years, the first thing that people usually ask me about is what's the impact of technology on our business and on the people in our business, you know, is automation going to take over the world? Are we all going to be done out of jobs by AI and robots? And today, because of coronavirus and the state of the world, the question is more like, will I actually have a job tomorrow? What we are seeing, without a doubt, is that there are certain industries that are really thriving in the current environment, things like Zoom and other video conferencing and collaboration platforms. Healthcare workers are front and center. The whole delivery supply chain is front and center. But we're gonna get past this crisis and then we're gonna to start to need to think again about the impact of technology and automation on how it will impact our everyday life. And there will be a lot of new jobs of the future, but they're not necessarily going to be the same jobs or the same daily routines that we have today. One of the brand new jobs that I came up with just a couple of days ago, thinking about what's happening in the world, is something that I'm calling a black swan scenario planner. Because if you look around the world, 
and you see the reactions in different countries to what's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic, every country is taking a different way of handling it and nobody has been prepared for something that is a disaster on a global level. And frankly, I think that we as a society really need to think about scenarios that can be problematic for humanity on a global level. A pandemic is one of them. Um, climate change is another one. Something like a solar flare or an EMP that takes out our electric grid, wow, we would just be in the dark ages. So this is going to be a really important new job. And these kinds of people will consult to governments, corporations, and even individuals. Another new class of job that's already starting to become very prominent is this whole field of artificial intelligence and robotics. If you have skills in these areas, you will be employed for the foreseeable future, no matter how smart AI gets. And there are so many different things that AI covers. Um, if you look at my speeches on this topic, you can find a whole lot more information. I'm not going to go into the details here. But one of the fundamental things that's important to convey right now is the way that AI learns is through two basic mechanisms, machine learning and deep learning. And this involves taking massive data sets of all kinds of information, feeding it into algorithms, and then having those algorithms make decisions on this data that may or may not be good data. So one of the new jobs of the future is going to be an AI trainer. And this will be a person or group of people that literally uses techniques such as reinforcement learning to help AI start making better decisions and to weed out the bad data and social biases that are inherent in these big data sets. Equally important when we think about AI and robotics are issues pertaining to ethics. And all you have to do is think about the impact of driverless cars and a scenario where you've got an unavoidable accident of who gets killed, the person in the car or the pedestrian, and you can begin to see where ethics is going to be a big part of it. Robots are going to be extremely important too, and there are techniques there called imitation learning, where you'll have humans in virtual reality suits showing robots how to do things by controlling them from virtual reality. These will be big new jobs. But equally important is something that I'm calling the privacy guardian. And Gerd and Ross, I think you both touched on this a bit in your presentations. Right now, we have given away so much data about ourselves, either by choice through social media, by collection of either government agencies or websites that we interact with or visit. And especially now during the current pandemic, we're seeing government, rightly so, looking at GPS data from our phones and trying to match it with the outbreak of coronavirus to help us to understand what the correlation of where we're at and where the outbreaks are and using artificial intelligence. But cyber security has to be part of this and privacy has to be part of this. And even if we take 
what I would call totalitarian measures to track people right now in a crisis situation, we need to be sure that we're only doing it on a very short-term basis and that we actually let people have their freedom back after the crisis is over. But I think privacy guardians are going to be important in a government sense, in a corporate sense, and even for individuals who may have had their identity compromised or their privacy compromised. Another area that I'd like to touch on as we go into the future is what will it mean to be human? Will we take technology into our bodies and start to become part human and part machine? Already, there is a lot of research into things like brain-machine interfaces. Right now, primarily for healthcare reasons to help people who might be paralyzed walk again, but there's a lot of discussion and early experimentation into actually putting chips inside of our brains to help us, quote, keep up with AIs. There are also a lot of other advanced technologies like nanobots initially to fight diseases like starve out cancer in our bodies, but eventually putting these little nanobots into our bodies as a preventative medical measure to look at our organs in real time. And if it detects something that's wrong, be able to take preventative action and then throw in genetic engineering into the mix too. And you can just imagine the plethora of new jobs that are going to open up in the advanced healthcare and sciences area. But along with this, once again, we need to look at security and privacy. But where I'd like to close my short presentation today is with some really pragmatic steps for things that we can think about doing to transform our workplace or even what we're doing for work as individuals. And the very first step is understanding technology, what's capable today and in tomorrow. Take a look at the jobs in your organizations or the things that you do from a top you know, bottom down level all the way up to the top to see what's boring, what's repetitive, what would you actually like to have automated and make those decisions and start putting in place actions to spend your time doing more interesting things. From a company perspective and even a personal perspective, have a look at the skill sets that you have and the personality that you have and the things that you're interested in. Then familiarize yourself with what some of the many, many, many new jobs of the future will be. And I've posted a lot of videos about this, so please look at those. There are a lot of new jobs. And then matrix them all together and start to figure out where you as an individual or people within your company can start to leverage skill sets, personality, where the new jobs are going to be required and embark on a reskilling and retraining um, effort. And if you're at home and you have free time, this is a great time to be teaching yourself some new skills. But ultimately, once we get past this pandemic, I think companies need to take responsibility for this as well and start helping with this reskilling process. All right, thanks very much, Shara. So um, I have a question for you right away. Uh, artificial intelligence, a lot of people are saying that, you know, this will make us useless humans uh, because we can't compete. Uh, a lot of people are worried about their jobs being taken by AI. What's your view on this? 
Well, I don't think AI is going to take over the human skills of empathy and creativity and even general human intelligence for quite some time to come. Right now, AI might be really, really good at a narrow task. It's what we call narrow AI. But if you ask it to do something else and you haven't trained it to do it, that's not going to happen. And depending on what AI researcher you talk to, it could be in 2040 or 2050 or out in 2075 or maybe even further beyond before AI even gets to that general level of being able to do multitasking, but it's still not going to have the kind of empathy and creativity that we have. And yes, we have seen AIs that can do artwork and we've seen AIs that can do other things that are quote unquote creative, but that's different than writing a novel from some of our favorite authors. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, we have a hand raised and then we'll take some questions. Ross, you want to chime in? Just fire away. Uh, I'm going to go to Kelly Idehan. Idehan raised her hand. Uh, Kelly, please do a welcome to the show. Tell us where you're from and if you have a question or a comment or uh, yeah. whatever you want to share with us. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, is this a light um, video? Is the video on now? Okay. No, it's okay. Audio is fine. Hi, great. Hi, great. So yeah, hi, Kelly. Um, I'm from Nigeria. Yeah, hi. Hi, sir. Um, so I'm from Nigeria on um, Africa. So um, a lot of the um, points that have been discussed here. So. Um, yep. Let's get to the question. A lot of the. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You're not. You're not coming across here. We're gonna. We're gonna ask you to please uh, go back to the uh, to the question panel and and submit your question there. Okay, because. Um, we need to move on and make sure we have the right things happening here. So I'm going to take the next question. Okay. Um, there's a lot of people saying that we're wildly optimistic and I would agree that we are right. Um, there's one really good comment here from Chantel Love who says that given the Edelman research and trust in particular, the lack of trust in the establishment, political establishment, I think that means, uh, where do you think we'll begin to place our trust? I think this is the key question, especially now with the Corona crisis. Yeah, let me take the first yeah. step and then I'll pass it on to, to Ross there, right? Uh, here in Switzerland, it's really amazing to see. I mean, I, I'm a German citizen, but I live in Switzerland. I'm also a Swiss citizen now. Uh, it's amazing to see that, that people actually trust government here in Switzerland. Right? I mean, it's, it's like they say the government will do the right thing and, and they're going to tell us that we can go out and not go out. And, and we don't have an issue with following those orders because there's trust in government. And that's very unusual, I think. Um, that's also because of our sort of liberated, you know, a wide scale open democracy and direct democracy and so on. But without praising Switzerland too much, I think this is the key question, who do we trust in the future? And I think we, are, we have to trust people, not technology. Right? Uh, and the story of the future should not be told by IBM and Microsoft. Uh, they make technology, right? The story of the future needs to be told, told by people and envisioned by people that we can trust. I think trust is not something digital that we can just, you know, click a button, say trust or like or so, right? Trust is something totally human. I think that's really yeah. important. I, mean, I take the view when it comes to sharing my data of trust no one until they've proven that they're worthy of my trust. I'm a privacy advocate full on and I don't share personal information and get very upset when companies ask me to send me things by unencrypted email. And it happens every single day from 
authorities like healthcare authorities and others. And I just think, oh my gosh, are you not at all aware of cybersecurity and hackers? You're asking me to send things like um, the equivalent of my social security number or my Medicare number or other very sensitive information that can lead to ID theft by unencrypted email. And you're meant to be a trusted organization representing the government or a big medical institution or whatever. And you've got no concept. And I think until organizations take cybersecurity and privacy seriously, it's going to be very hard for people to want to trust them. Great. Ross, please. You want yeah, to chime in, right? Trying... Uh, the trust issue is, is fundamental. And I think you know, there's quite different natures to individual trust and institutional trust. Institutional trust has been eroding, and I see it's very difficult that that's going to come back. What could potentially be a substitute for that is to trust in distributed organizations where they are built in terms of their constitutions or structures to be open source, to be, not have any, uh, to, to truly express collective opinion. So it becomes a nature of an institution, but one that is designed to be democratic, to be impartial, to be, to, uh, to essentially have respect for others. And there's an entirely new organizational form. We've seen a few whips of that. You know, there's Lumio and uh, similar ones in New Zealand or other distributed organizations here and there. But this is a new possibility. And I think of a necessity we build these democratic distributed open source organizations that can be ones that we can merit our trust because otherwise we won't be able to move forward as a society. There's a great comment here on the chat that's saying, you know, not everybody lives in Switzerland where you can trust the government. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm very lucky to live here. Yeah. But generally speaking, I think the issue is of trustworthy leaders right? and trustworthy government, trustworthy public, uh, which includes, of course, public media and things like that. Those are those are key issues. And I think if we want to create that, then then we have to, of course, not just act with our vote and our money and who we buy from, but we also have to look at at laws that prohibit, for example, corruption. And what have what you have America? You know, one percent of Americans. Uh, I read the other day is somewhere on the, on the millionaire level, right? But in Congress, it's fifty percent. <laughs> you know, that kind of makes you wonder about trust, you know, where you're going to place your trust in this. But uh, keep on chatting. We're going to have a poll shortly. In the meantime, there's Thomas Martin, uh, who raised his hand. Thomas, please, uh, if you want to chime in, please make sure you're actually capable of speaking <laughs> in terms of technology. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, good. There you are. Go ahead. Hi guys, thank you very much. I mean, Guys, this is a super complex question, as we all know, right? I mean, we're having, with work, as you said, Garrett, there's a, a lot of systems are interlinking, right? It is fundamentally about humans collaborating to create something greater together, right? But as a social system interfering, technology is getting in there. We're having energy, education, trust, a lot of these things, right? And we talk about these things from our Western technology-capable access perspective. The topic was raised about what about Africa and the poor countries, right? But there's a one country which hasn't been mentioned yet. And I wonder whether you guys have any perspective on that. And the, the country is China. China seems to be running some kind of a balance between technology change, technology adoption, social change, trust in the government, whether it's warranted or not, right? But the people are prepared to give something away 
in order to gain something, right? And I'm really wondering whether on a larger scale we will be seeing in the future more, not only a competition between rich and poor, but also competition between systems, uh, between some nations being further, maybe more in the middle of Singapore, right where I live, um, um, about proving or experimenting about how this future of work could pan out. And it becomes a systemic political conflict as well. Wondering what your perspectives is on, on, on these, type of, these type of level and whether there is maybe something we can learn, for example, from China. Yeah, thanks very much, Thomas. Uh, who wants to jump first? Who wants to get burned I'm first? To, <laughs> I'm happy to <laughs> just have a quick crack. I mean, as you said, a very, uh, very complex issue, uh, Thomas. The, so China has a different social contract, as you've described, and this has been based on the increasing prosperity of the nation from what was extraordinarily impoverished in the not too distant past. And so that has been that essentially giving of prosperity, greater health and other education, other things has enabled the government to take its authoritarian role. And as in Singapore, there are many Chinese and Singaporean citizens who are basically happy with that situation. Now there is cultural differences, which mean those models cannot, will not work being taken wholesale into other nations. There's different value sets, but there will be increasing competition. And this comes back in what it was often described as the US-China tension and the fundamental value sets. China is looking, of course, as America has been, to be a cultural imperialist, to be able to take its culture and values as well as its economics into other countries. It's a massive question as to whether that is extendable, and I, I suspect not. I think that it can function in China uh, for the foreseeable future, which is not very far but it is uh, far harder to see that system as it is practiced in China being able to extend into other nations. But big, big question, big debate to be had around that. And I'll yeah. comment on that too. I'd agree mm -hmm. with Ross 100% that China has a very different social contract system. And before the virus, people seem to be quite happy to go along with China's social credit system that they've been rolling out. They've in many cases were commenting that I've seen, saying that they felt very comfortable, they trusted the government to do the right thing for them. What I think will be really interesting is to find out the sentiment from people on the street in China post-coronavirus, whether that same level of trust in government action remains in line with what it was before the pandemic or whether there's a shift. But I think that there's yet another model that we might find rising up. So right now, our model is nation states and we have different types of governance within the nation states, but there's the possibility of a corporatocracy rising up because we're already seeing huge global corporations that have income that's higher than the GDPs of many industrialized nations. And if I extract that out into the future, you know, say in the 2040s, when we start doing space travel for real and space exploration, I can see that it's likely to be the private sector that establishes colonies on the moon or Mars or maybe in space stations or on other planets. And we'd actually have corporations ruling these exoplanetary extensions to planet Earth. 
and how that's all going to work is very much up in the air, but it's something for us to think about as a future scenario. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you, Shara. This is, you know, my, my view on this is uh, pretty straightforward. It's, I think for the next five years, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. I mean, this ominous map behind me, of course, is vastly simplified here. Right. Okay. There is corporate capitalism. Right. That's America. There's social capitalism. That's Europe. Right? And then there's state capitalism, basically. Yeah. In a very simplified way. And I think these things are clashing now. And you can see the result of the Corona crisis is that who is better at reacting? Right. Very hard to say from the outside because we don't know what the numbers from China how real they are and how real they not are. We don't know how Europe is going to perform in the long run. Right? Lots of questions about having enough solidarity or not. But you know, I, I'm I'm watching China very closely on this. My view on that is, in the next de decade, we're going to have to deal with global issues, climate change being first, energy, right, uh, communication, uh, uh, all of those things that, that hunger and poverty and food and you know all the and genetic engineering. If we don't collaborate, then none of these things will actually matter, because right? none of us are going to get to the finish line. Uh, so anyway, let, let's move on. To, Ross, you want to say something? I saw you. I saw you breathing there, but no. Okay. If you want to talk, just chime in. We have a, a, a bigger question here. Thirteen upvotes from Hartpreet Dingra. Very thanks very much for chiming in here. Moving to sustainable capitalism sounds very optimistic, but how will the transition look like? And how can we best prepare for this? That's not exactly in the topic of work, but uh, let's take it anyway. Any of you guys want to jump on this? Sure. It's this is the the big question. It's you know I've I've used the phrase post-capitalism as a as a sort of a handy way to be able to say what happens beyond our current phase of capitalism, and. Again, you know, massive topic. I think just one of the key things is the metrics. What is it that we measure? And we are not just measuring money, of course. Uh, so we can understand or things like health or happiness or uh, the quality of the environment or many other you know, degrees of social engagement. These are things which we need to understand and to measure and to optimize for. And there was a wonderful phrase I heard other, you know, recently saying, uh, corporations, companies, it, you know, the economy is designed to optimize something. And at the moment, what it is optimizing is basically financial success. You know, the, the capital can build on itself. So we need to build a different system whereby we are measuring different things in order that we can build a system which optimizes the things that matter to us. Totally. I, 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 uh, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, this, this, this idea here, how we're going to get there. I think sustainable capitalism is a business model, right? It's the business model of the future. It, this is not about, you know, being, being, you know, liking other people or some ephemeral ideas or an ideology or anything. This is the only remaining business model. I think if we stay on the extreme capitalism model, we're going to destroy ourselves, right? We're going to replace humans with AI and we're going to go to other planets, and before we know it, we'll be gone as a species. So I think this is actually the only way forward. And also, I think there's a huge amount of money in all the things that have to do with sustaining our planet, sustaining other people. Right? I mean, there's a huge amount of money in healthcare. I think we're going to see a huge boon of investment in healthcare, of course, going forward. 
uh, and we have to put the money in. So the question is really what we want, right? Going back to what I said earlier, we want a world that provides a sort of idea of, of general collective happiness, right? Or do we want a world of, you know, 5,000 billionaires, everybody else behind the, the barbed wire fence? You know, yeah, I think I, this is what it comes down to. I think there's one other possible model that some people may adopt, and that is developing self-sustaining communities that are off-grid communities. They may be connected to the rest of the world through telecommunications, but essentially what they would be doing is forming self-sustaining communities of people with a variety of skill sets and instead of using money as the mechanism for paying people to do a job everybody in the community pitches in based on the skills that they have and it's more of a barter system than it is a capitalistic system and we may very well see that sort of scenario develop sooner rather than later, especially if the pandemic lasts for a very long time, we may find groups of people that start to band together for survival initially, but then decide to continue the community and grow it. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. I think this is not a question of cultural optimism or, you know, want to be utopian future. I mean, we, we, can, we can gauge what's happening around the world. It's pretty much we're going to get on the same page or there won't be a page. Um, that's how I look at it. So let's take a, uh, this is a good time for taking the poll here because the next poll actually uh, um, asks this question. So this is the poll, right? What do you think about the future? Uh, the poll should be live now. Is it live now? Yes, here we are. So now you can vote, please. Uh, what do you think about the future? You can have multiple choices here, right? So um, you can basically say, okay, uh, the future will be great. It will be not so great. Uh, and so on. So please just go ahead and vote. I think you can see it, right? Is it live? Yeah. So yeah, no, don't, it's, don't. Not. it's not live. No. Okay, let me show just one second. This is of course, uh, let me relaunch the poll. Okay, here we are. Okay. Yeah, starting with technology. That's our chief mission these days <laughs> to figure out how all that stuff works. Yeah. I mean, I love zoom, but some of these tools are counterintuitive. Right? Or rather, let's let's say uh, we have a deep, pretty steep learning curve to undertake here. You know, we're just poor uh, futurists. We're not usually that close to technology. <laughs> so please give us a good vote on this. Uh, I want to see what your viewpoint is on the future. Uh, obviously, we're a bunch of optimists here, but uh, having said so, I think it would be good to figure out where you're going to think this is going. So please keep voting. Yeah, don't be shy. In the meantime, I will change my background to contribute to the debate. Let's switch back to gallery view here. So uh, we have an interesting scenario. Most people, 51% right now, say they're personally optimistic about the future, but it won't be easy for many people. I think that's a pretty good summary. That's kind of how I feel about this. And I, again, I think you know this is such a crucial question of solidarity. Uh, that's also the future of work, right? Our job is to help other people figure this out and to help other people actually get it right and to egg on new things. You know, this is not everybody is in the privileged position that I realize we are in. Um, and of course, that's, I think that's extremely painful, especially in countries like Brazil or India or you know, places with big population and lots of disparity of, uh, of income. Um, so uh, yeah, we have, okay, the future is utterly unknowable. Yeah, that's, uh, that's also good. 9% of people are saying the future is utterly unknowable. Uh, it does look like uh, 
that's the case. I mean, who would have predicted this? Certainly not some AI uh, that gave us an impact. While the poll is running, I, I want to invite you for the next conferences, the conference.digital shows all the next shows. Uh, next week, leadership, the week after that on transhuman versus human. Uh, it's going to be very good. And at the end of the month, we have a very special new thing that we're doing. It's called the Future Show. Uh, and it'll be also on Zoom. There will be a special announcement about this in a slightly different format, more like a talk show slash town hall meeting. Um, so stay tuned for that stuff. Um, maybe while the poll is running, most people have voted 70%. Uh, Shara, can you tell people quickly about where they can find out more about you? Well, first of all, my website, shareevans.com. I have a blog where I have a lot of articles. If you go to my media page, you'll see all kinds of interviews that I've done. Um, in my keynote speeches, I've got lots and lots of full-length videos that you can watch. So please feel free to indulge in the content. Great, Ross. Uh, so is it rossdawson.com? Pretty easy. Lots of resources, blog, videos, frameworks, uh, book chapters, uh, a lot of uh, you know all the details of my work. So lots of uh, and actually a lot of futurist resources for those interested in the futurist uh, profession. So. Plenty there to browse if people want to go to rostorson.com. Thank you. Yeah, great. I'm a futuristguard.com, and of course, my fabulous book, Technology versus Humanity, is now out in 12 languages tech versus human, tech versus human.com. I'm going to end this poll. We'll share the results later because I want to get to the end of it. You've been very patient. Uh, just, just a quick one to show you what has voted. Uh, I think the consensus here is 49% thinks the crisis is an opportunity. Well, that's good because, you know, this is a kind of what we're thinking about uh, and which way this is heading. Let's take another question and then I think we're going to wrap up uh, and we're going to have a final poll about how you like this event so it can help us make it better in the future. Um, low raised hands, that's good. So um, we have uh, Corey McGovern, uh, David Epstein's book, Range, about the increased focus on specialization and how limiting that is. What do you see as the role of specialization in the future versus having a breadth of experience and skills? Great question. Thank you. Who wants to jump on this? Yeah, well, that's that goes to a lot to my work in the sense that you know I often say that either you're a world-class specialist or you're a commodity, and that's true and increasingly true. As we become deeper and deeper knowledge, faster pace, we do need to have an area of specialization, and. But of course, that requires collaboration. The more specialized we are, the more collaboration we require, and that collaboration requires the context. So a lot of people have heard about the T-shaped manager. They've got depth and breadth. I'm reframing it. I'm just trying to find out what the name of the, the, the shape is. And so a thumbtack is what I'm, what I'm currently working on, where yes, you've got depth. You must have depth in some or one or more areas of expertise, but you must have multi-dimensional breadth as well to be able to understand context, to be able to collaborate effectively with others. But being the generalist without being, having any specialist things is I think not possible to get to. You need to have some kind of foundations for it and is, is very, very, very hard to sustain. I'm very fortunate that I am a specialist, but I have that built on in the past having had many areas of deep specialization. So, I agree uh, on the, that we need the breadth, but specialization is not, can't stand alone. Great, let me, let me show in a little slide here. 
you see what uh, this is the role of AI and jobs in the future and this whole idea of what's happening. I think it's quite clear that uh, the jobs that are that are commodity jobs, they will be replaced by AI. I call this the end of routine. And the jobs that are less routine and less specific, right, they're, they're the ones that are growing because they're, they're impacted by AI in the reverse way. And I think one thing we have to say about you know what's, what's happening with jobs, of course, is it's really because everybody has a different talent, right? Uh, not everybody is the same, and, and some kids must study science, and other ones must be musicians, you know. Uh, and, and it's very hard to say. I think, generally speaking, to be a good mensch, you know, a human, I think that's a universal skill that will get you a job pretty much anywhere in the future. Uh, that, that, to me, is the first objective, because, you know, uh, to compete with this, yeah, I, th I don't think that's going to work for us in the future. So uh, I think we're pretty much at the end of this here. Let's see if we have a burning question. So do we have a burning question? We have 32 other questions. We could go out for another three hours here, but um, I think, yeah. Do we have anything else urgent? Yeah, anybody? Mm, Sawa? From my side, no. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to keep the questions. We're going to take screenshots, and, and you can continue with the questions. Okay, here's the final poll. Please do stick around for the poll, because we'd like to know how you, how you enjoyed this. Um, and so let's take this live here. Okay, so simple question, how was your experience during this event? And we're trying to make this so good that you can't resist to tune into us, you know, every, on every single day. Just kidding. Um, not every day, let's say once, once a week would be good. Um, so please do vote on this. Um, the main thing I find about these events is that it's interactive, that we, we get the talk. Um, unlike our usual role, which is to be on the stage and do all the talking. Uh, we, can, we can learn how to listen, which is, which is a new thing, especially for me. Uh, so uh, this is really interesting because we have, uh, okay, you have viewing questions. Audio video was good. I think most people are quite happy with the audio and video. Let me see if I make this a little bit larger. Um, so I also want to thank Zoom for being a partner of this show uh, and allowing us to Bring that many people in at the same time and do all that fancy stuff that Zoom is doing. Um, I've tried many other platforms, but at this point, this is the least painful. <laughs> so uh, let's have a look. I think I'm going to share the poll as well. So uh, this will be on the web website, futureofsgirt.com. Uh, we're also going to publish the links and the audio and the video as well, probably within an hour or so. And 44% of people enjoyed it very much. That's good. Uh, we did have 11 people saying the audio video was not so good. Yeah. Of course, this is what we get for everybody being online at the same time. Right? Uh, this is one of the key challenges of being in a system like this. So do keep voting, please. Um, yeah. Gerd was amazing. Now, that question isn't in there. I'm just kidding. The, the speakers rocked. Right? That was good. Thank you very much. You can keep saying that, right? Uh, <laughs> It was great to get this feedback. So I'm, I'm just going to close it here because I think we, we have uh, used up our time. So thanks very much. Uh, I'm going to end the poll. And you can, you can uh, review the poll at some other time. I want to thank very much Ross Dawson in Sydney and Shara Evans also in Sydney. Yes. And Sora Rashid, uh, our moderator in Turku, Finland. I am in Zurich and I look forward to doing the next show with you and I look forward to your feedback and thanks very much for coming around. See you later. Stay safe. It was a pleasure.